Uh, Open them to Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he prospers, but the wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is God's word. Kind of taking a break away from the Gospels this uh, this week. Uh, I was in, kind of inspired by this psalm, which I've read. And if you've read the psalms uh, much, you've probably gotten into the And you know this one pretty well. Um, and I thought to myself, um, what does it really mean to be truly happy? I love in our Constitution, it, it talks about the pursuit of happiness. Is almost the ideal of what it means to be an American. You know, the pursuit of happiness. What does that look like? What does ultimate blessedness look like to us? What did it look like to the psalmist who wrote this psalm? So we're going to explore that just a little bit this morning. So I encourage you to to kind of uh, use your imagination as we go through this. Every year around election time, and not necessarily every four years type of election, but every year we get a voter guide in the mail. And that voter guide usually tells us all about the new laws or proposals that they want to put into place, usually locally. Things like uh, whether we should tax this or tax that, or we should get a new road here, or, or have a, uh, a, uh, your school board wants to have more money for new things, that sort of thing. And we all get them in the mail, but I, I don't know how many of us actually read them. I know that I uh, try and read them, but it's very difficult sometimes. The, the language in those voter guides tends to be a little bit arcane and seems a little wordy. And, and after a while, you lose interest. But somebody was smart enough to actually create what they call the synopsis of, of the law, and they put it in the front. It's not the actual whole law, but it's just kind of a summary of like, if you vote for this, you get this. If you don't vote for this, you don't get this. And I dig that about that. It gives the flavor and the feel of exactly what it is that you were voting on. As we look into the psalm this morning, you notice something here. He says, blessedness comes from not only avoiding the bad things, but also delighting in God's law. Now, for many of us, when we hear the words, let's delight in God's law, we immediately shut off or glaze over or we're like, no, I don't want to have to read. I don't want to have to get into that. Ah, oh, law. Oh my gosh, how many cleanliness laws do I have to read about? You know, or, or how I should cook my food or, ah, uh, we had this collective sigh of like, can we just get to something interesting? It's weird that the psalmist would say that the blessed life comes from delighting in God's law. We'll get to what that actually means here in a second. But something I noticed that's important is that this is a wisdom psalm. This is a psalm that basically gives a keystone or foundational truth that which constructs the, the framework of ultimate human happiness. The psalm here is more proverbial than anything. It's a statement about life that is true under most circumstances. And generally speaking, if a person follows the psalmist's declarations, 
any person should experience the kind of life that God wants for those people who are devoted to him. This is a general psalm. This is generally true. Now, because I know that there's going to be opportunities out there in life where this doesn't necessarily happen. You could do all the right things in the world and you may not actually experience this. That's entirely possible. But the psalmist is getting at this idea that, generally speaking, the blessed life comes from these two ways. The blessed life is one part non-participation in the ways of the people and systems that are antithetical to God and his ways. If you notice here, it says, Blessed is the person or the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. When the psalmist writes wicked, the wicked are are those who are uh, uh, part of the uh, negative behavior and evil thoughts and words and deeds. It's kind of antisocial behavior that betrays a person's inner disharmony and unrest. And you might be saying, well, it's hard to avoid wickedness in our world and sin and depravity. It's hard. We live in a, a place where this is part of the fabric of our existence. And you're right. We can't go to a commune and live perfectly righteous lives because in a sense, our sin follows us where we go. And though we may have this external idea of, what, of righteousness, we still have this inner turmoil that goes with us. Wickedness and sin in opposition to God are part of the fabric of this world. And interaction in that world is unavoidable. It's going to happen. But the psalmist here gives us an idea of what to avoid. He says, avoid the wicked. Like I said, it's this evil thoughts and words and deeds and antisocial behavior. But he also says, avoid the sinners as well. And these are not just average things. But what this is, is an actively and purposely doing life opposite of the ways of God. The, the root of the word actually means to miss the mark, but it's not like, you know, somebody who's actually aiming for God or aiming for God's way of doing things and just slightly to the left or to the right. No, when they say miss the mark, they mean people who actually turned completely around the other side and said, Boop. it's kind of a, the proverbial middle finger to God. It is that kind of missing the mark. They're like, I'm not even aiming. I'm doing things my way. These are the people who are, have such a violation of the norms that result in injury to not only relationships with God, but with other people. That's the idea of not standing in the way of sinners. But then there are the mockers. These are the people who have entertained themselves so much in wickedness and so much in the way of, of destruction of relationships that their souls have become jaded against God altogether and his people. And then they lash out in ridicule and rebellion and disdain and vocal badgering. This is the kind of people that are so uh, corrupted on the inside towards the things of God that their whole demeanor is nothing more than a loud billboard uh, telling us that we're silly for doing what we do. These are the kind of people that, that make fun of the righteous and say, well, you guys, while you're out there being all goody-two-shoes, we're over here having our party. Ha-ha. That's the kind of feeling that the psalmist is saying here. And he's saying the blessed life is an active non-participation in those areas. The blessed person doesn't have time anymore uh, to go and dig into these kind of lifestyles because he realizes, he or she realizes that ultimate blessedness does not come from these things. Sin always overpromises and underdelivers. But he also gives the second way. The blessed life 
is, uh, on the other hand, is intimacy with God through His Word. As I said before, when we read those laws that we have to vote on every year, we often can uh, get caught up in some of the legalese and get confused about sort of things. But laws reflect the character of a country or a county or a state. From the tax code, which often it seems to be tilted towards the rich, but oftentimes we, re- we fail to recognize that it actually helps the poor as well. The poor don't have to pay nearly as much as everyday folks because there's a provision in there. We get a feeling that not only is our country in a sense tilted toward the rich, but it also takes care of the poor as well. Laws reflect the character of a country. The longer you look at laws, the more that you don't just see words in cold language, but you get a sense of the person or persons who wrote them and the intent. You get a flavor and a feel for the country, whether right or wrong. You get a sense of what's important in that society, but also what ought to change as well. But when the author says that the blessed person's life is, is founded in um, uh, delight in the law of God, the author is not just talking about the rote reading of Scripture as if it was just something you have to do like getting up and going and taking a, a shower or eating your breakfast or having your coffee. It is not just those things, but there is true pleasure in it because the person who is devoting themselves to the law of God is actually becoming familiar with its author, with God himself. In a sense, God's law actually reflects his own creation or his own character. It is God's self-revelation. The way we know God is not just simply by staring at the mountains or having a a beautiful day and watching a nice deer walk through your yard if that happens to you, uh, or a squirrel or seeing a sunset or a rainbow. All these things are good and nice evidences of the existence of God, but God's self-revelation through his word is what gives us a picture of who he is and what he's like. And the more blessed, uh, the more the blessed person reads and interacts with God's words, the more the person becomes intimate with God and all that he loves and all that he desires and all of his own frustrations and his mercy and his justice and compassion. The blessed person who is plugged into God's word is not just familiar with God, but finds themselves sustained and prosperous in the spirit of God. God begins to empower that person who is devoted to them or to him to live in such a way that honors God and then ultimately reflects outwardly his purposes and intentions in the world. You notice here the psalmist says the person who is blessed, who truly delights in the law of God, is like a person who is planted by a stream, like a tree next to a river. When I was flying home from Florida yesterday, uh, I noticed that it's nearly, it's autumn, and so all of the fields that were out on the plains are, uh, are disgusting. They are brown and just gross. And you're like, I was just in Florida, it was all green, and now it's not. And the reason it's all green there is because it's by water. Lots and lots of water even if you don't want that water, it's even in the air, and that's bad. But it's trees and plants planted by water will always be in season. They'll always be green. They'll always be prosperous and fruitful. In the same way, the person whose life is committed to understanding who God is and living intimately with Him will be prosperous in all they do. Now, I'm not just saying, I'm not saying that someone's going to have a gajillion dollars all the time. That's not the kind of prosperousness that the psalmist is talking about here. But he's having a life that is truly plugged into the author of life. A life that is, that is honoring the creator himself. 
the way of, but the lastly, what I, what I found interesting in this psalm is that not only is it we avoid the things that God um, wants us to avoid in order to be, have a blessed life, but also that we plug into his life through his word, but also that we avoid being judge and jury to the wickedness and evil in this world. Notice here he talks a lot about that the wicked will not stand in the judgment and the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The psalmist is saying basically to us that we are not to be the ones who step in as judge and jury in this world. That is not our place. Our place is not to be those who condemn. Our place is not to be the ones who say, well, you're going to hell. That is not our place. The blessed life is focused on intimacy with God, living in such a way that, that uh, relays God's presence in your life and letting God be God and letting God have his way and, and deal with injustice and uh, oppression and uh, you know, uh, evil in this world. The, ple- the blessed person does not interject themselves in the work of God of ultimate judgment. And while we can participate with God in bringing justice to the oppressed, poor, and the downtrodden, the work of making things ultimately right is God's domain, not ours. And we see this especially in the work of the cross. That was his to do, not ours. We are not to bring condemnation and judgment to people. Rather, we are to bring God's compassion and mercy and care and generosity and ultimately patience. We ought to stay out of the vigilante business and rather work with God for justice and mercy and compassion and kindness. That is our part in this world. That is the blessed life. Well, so what, right? What do we do with this? Is it just a nice wisdom thing that we get like on our daily calendar that we flipped over and went, well, that's nice. Or is there something for us to do with this? Well, I would just simply say this. The blessed life is ultimately a choice that we must make consciously and actively. We know that, that salvation is by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. We get that. We know that. I know you all know that. We are saved by his, uh, by his work on the cross alone. There's no question. However, the life of following God is something we must choose to do or do not. We must make that decision to join ourselves to God and his people or live a life outside of that. There is no middle ground. Dallas Willard says, in our attempts to understand how God speaks to us and guides us, we must, above all, hold on to the fact that this is to be sought only as part of a certain kind of life. To be a follower of God requires a certain kind of activity in the life of a human. We must choose. We must choose to be the kind of people that God, uh, uh, that live um, We must choose to commit to a life that allows God to transform us by his spirit into the kind of people that live the life that Jesus would have led if he were us. That is what it means to be a follower of God. That is what it means to live the blessed life. We must avoid fellowship with the sinner, the wicked, and the mocker. And that's a choice we make. Delighting in God's word is a choice. It is one that you and I must make on a daily basis. Secondly, Not only is it a choice, but we also must learn to delight in God's will as a skill that must be taught and learned. Nobody goes to law school and immediately understands the tax code. 
They must be taught how to read it and what it says and how it works. Then it becomes a living thing that you can actually use in your life if that's the kind of lawyer you become. But as believers, for those of us who are truly wanting to understand what it means to truly delight in the law of God, especially and enjoy God the most, we must be taught how to read the scriptures, what it means for us, that we ourselves can actually see ourselves in the passages and that it matters to us. It is not just stuff that happened to them, but it's stuff that could have happened to us. And that when we read scripture, we can see ourselves in the pages. And most importantly, we can experience God through reading about Jesus and learning what he is like. See, we often approach God in his word like a COVID shot or paying taxes with no joy or pleasure and just simply wrote, I have to do this because I want to avoid God being angry with me. If I didn't do my quiet time today, I'm sure that something bad will happen to me like I won't get the best parking space at Target. But clearly, God is saying that's not how you should approach my relationship with me. God's word and his law is his self-revelation. He's making himself known to you through those words and especially in the witness of Jesus. We need to learn how to read it, how to dwell on it, how to marinate in it as a means of discovering and delighting in the person of God. Intimacy with God is the goal, not just rote memorization of his words. It's not enough to know Psalm 23. It is enough to know Psalm 23 as my own personal prayer. And that I do, I can say without hesitation that the Lord is my shepherd. When you read in the word in such a way that you can actually pray those prayers as a, as a prayer to the God who knows you and that you have begun to know. That's what it means to be intimate with God. But lastly, blessedness then will occur and will be marked by our own adoption of God's mercy, God's compassion, God's love, and his generosity. It is not that he wants us to become these these uh, hard and fast law-abiding people who were like, uh, you know, like Jean-Luc Picard said in one of those Star Trek movies, it says, here and no farther, the line has been drawn. You know, I will not do this, and I am stalwart against all unrighteousness. No, what God wants us to do is to live in such a way to let our light shine before men that other people might see our good works and glorify God who is in heaven. By the way, those are Jesus' own words in the Sermon on the Mount. We are to live in such a way that our blessedness comes across in compassion and mercy and kindness and patience. Jesus himself came to save sinners and the lost and did so with that compassion and mercy and patience. And our MO must adopt that non-participation in sin, but participate in fervent love of the lost. So how do we, how do we respond to it? Well, simply put, the two ways. Avoid active, pervasive wickedness, sin, and mockery, as, as the psalmist says. I get it. There's going to be times when we delve into that. I know that I have, and I know that I will probably do so. But the whole idea here is that it does not become part of your normal, everyday activity. We know that God is faithful to forgive us if we confess our sins. And he, with his whole righteousness, will forgive us and cleanse us from all sin. So when we do find ourselves in places where we have participated in wickedness and sin and mockery, God himself is faithful to forgive us because of what Christ has done. And he just doesn't want us to continue in that, that life. It's a dark way. When God does not want us to go down that. 
Christ died for us so that we wouldn't have to go down that road anymore. So that we could experience him in ways that are far better and far more fulfilling than anything that sin and wickedness and mockery can provide for us. And lastly, delight in God. The life of a Christian is avoiding sin so that you can delight in God. What what this means is that there is just a million good ways of getting the word in you and there's a million good ways of the word getting into you. Pick one. Go with it. If that means that you read our daily bread once a day, outstanding. If that means that you spend time in silence and solitude, that's great. If you repeat, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, over and over and over, wonderful. If you pray the Lord's Prayer as we do every Sunday, that's great. Pick something and stick with it. And if you find this not working, find something else. Come talk to me. i got a million ways that we can get the Word into you and the Word can get into you. It's just, it's awesome. Pick one and do it with the intention of getting to know God, not just for doing your religious duty. Well, we're going to prepare our hearts here in a moment to receive... uh, uh, the elements, the bread and the cup. Um, 